We are back at it. Carson Cunningham joined, as always, by Colby Powell on the Pistols Firing Podcast. Colby Powell, I am back in the friendly confines of Oklahoma City. I've emerged from the cauldron, the snake pit that was Boone Pickens Stadium on Saturday night. And I'm still trying to digest some big news down south in Norman, but Boy, we got a lot to get to tonight. Uh, Carson, we have a lot to get to tonight. It's been a heck of a 24 hours. Uh, I'm ready to roll. I woke up with a remarkably sore throat after a great night in Stillwater. So I have got the hot tea with the honey uh, ready to go. I've got the throat spray, the numbing spray ready to go because we have got so much to get into. What a great weekend it's been. Bedlam 2021 will forever be remembered in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It was a night to remember. I'm so thankful I went. Me and my dad, we had a great time. And before we tackle the game, before we tackle the Lincoln Riley news, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We've thoroughly enjoyed their partnership once again this season. And what a season it's turned out to be. Oklahoma State has everything right in front of them. They slayed the dragon that is Oklahoma, despite all the, all the gaffes, which we're going to get to. And, um, man, Chris's might be printing some Big 12 championship t-shirts. They might be printing some college football playoff t-shirts. We'll have to wait and see. But again, we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. Colby, let's – do you want to get to Lincoln Riley after the game? I think we should do the game first. Yeah, let's do Lincoln game Riley. first. Let's do game first, and then we'll just continue to rub salt in the wound. Because that's really my plan today is to just rub as much salt in the wound as I possibly can. Have you thoroughly drank all the Sooner tears that are in your DMs and text messages and Twitter mentions? Because I've been, I've been chugging them from all of my Sooner fans that are ruining missed calls, all of the like. And I'm just like, hey, do you want me to – if you want to go down this road, let's go back to 2004, Mark Clayton, blatant block in the back, punt return touchdown. Let's go to 2013, Jalen Saunders, blatant block in the back touchdown. We can play that game – all day long with missed calls. We can even play it throughout the game we saw on Saturday night with missed calls. But have you thoroughly drank enough Sooner Tears today? Carson, I was pretty ruthless last night with my trolling of the OU fan base after the game. I can't tweet during the game. I uh, don't have good enough service. But after the game, I, I said, enjoy the SEC chumps. I, uh, I, I was just ripping them up one side and down the other because they just can't handle losing. They don't do it very often. And whenever it happens, their little heads, they can't take it. They explode. And last night was so, so beautiful. If I could actually, Carson, physically bottle the tears of OU fans and drink it, I would become immortal. It would be, I'm telling you, oh, the, the, the tears of OU fans give me life, Carson. Last night, I'm checking my Twitter, and these people are getting hateful. They're coming after me, getting personal, and I'm just laughing, just laughing, laughing, laughing at their pain because <laughs> if, if OU fans had any doubt as to whether their pain brings me pleasure, the answer is 100% unequivocally yes. Absolutely. And it's, it's like I'm living in bizarro world where OSU wins, OU fans are crying about missed calls, and they are ruining the fact their coach just left town. It's like the shoe has totally flipped on the other foot. I don't even know what to do with like this information that I'm trying to digest between the Sooner tears, their coach leaving for another job, and Oklahoma State going to play for a Big 12 championship while Oklahoma's not for the first time in six years. It's just 
it's remarkable to think about. But when we talk about this game, Colt, let's go through it first quarter and on. And the game couldn't have started any worse. First play from scrimmage from Oklahoma State. False start, three and out, punt. The defense fortunately forces a punt from Oklahoma, and OSU goes down and scores and looks dynamic doing so. I mean, I thought really, Colby, I I feel like this game played out exactly kind of how I I said it would in that I thought OSU was going to come out throwing, and that pretty much remained the objective from from throughout the whole game. But especially on the first series, they come out throwing with Spencer Sanders. He he's running. He's throwing to Brennan Presley for twenty two yards. Uh, a couple of t- a couple of passes to Brennan Presley, and I just thought the 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 touchdown throw from Spencer Sanders to Tay Martin. I mean, how many times have we said this season, Colby? That's the best throw Spencer Sanders made in his career. Tay Martin didn't even have to extend his arms; he dropped it over the defensive back, right into the bread basket. Touchdown! It's seven nothing. Stillwater is going absolutely ballistic at this point. Yeah, and I mean, that throw was so great for Spencer and Tay because who were the two that were talking throughout the week? It was Spencer and Tay. They were the ones talking. They were the ones expressing the confidence that they're going to win the game. They're going to go out and do it. First touchdown of the game, Spencer to Tay. An absolute dime. And an underrated thing I thought about Spencer last night, yes, he had the two interceptions, but he was quick with his decision-making. He was, you know, he was seeing what needed to happen and making it happen, boom. Whenever he needed to take off, he took off. That throw to Tay Martin on the opening touchdown of the game, you've got to get that throw off at the exact right time or it won't matter that your receiver has beaten the corner because the safety will have time to come over. He was quick. He was decisive. He got that ball out there before the safety had time to come over and make the play. Uh, So Spencer to Tay early was great. And then the reverse to Tay, I'm telling you, Carson, early in that game, Casey Dunn was absolutely in his bag. I thought that he was special in that game, uh, especially in the first half last night and even in the fourth quarter when it was clear that the run game wasn't doing a ton and Spencer was going to have to be more involved in the run game and all that stuff. I, I really have done a 180 on Casey Dunn from early in the season. Maybe it just was that there were injuries and, and things hadn't all come together yet. Kind of seems like they're coming together, and I've, I've really pivoted on Casey Dunn. I thought he had a great night last night. Carson, you got me? Oh, I got you. Sorry, I muted my microphone on accident. I'm totally with you. I thought Casey was so dialed in early. I mean, and I just thought he did a great job of keeping OU so off balance. It just felt like every time you thought OSU was going to run, they threw it. Every time you thought they were going to throw it, they ran it. And I just thought he was, he was dialing up such special stuff, and that reverse call was just brilliant. I mean, to get a walk-in touchdown in a game of this magnitude – with the defensive line that Oklahoma has, you just he dialed up the perfect play, and it, it was a walk-in touchdown. And so, it's it's remarkable how like I gotta say, Colby, the first half from OSU's offense was that the best half of football they've had on offense, just from a pure a pure schematic and just really taking what they wanted offensively. I thought Casey Dunn. I agree with you. I thought he was totally dialed in and kept OU off balance through the duration of the first half, and really kept OSU in it with the way the defense was kind of giving up some big plays. 
I would say the TCU game was probably the best offense we've seen all year, but that was a, a serious men against boys situation. That was a, a total mismatch. In terms of playing against good teams who can actually put up a little bit of a fight, yes, I think last night uh, was the best offense we've seen this season. Now, that first half would have been even more special offensively had Oklahoma State not thrown the interception. Spencer Sanders throws the interception there. And then, by the way, I was fully prepared. I, I had some Mike Gundy takes locked and loaded for today because I, I kind of thought that we got a little bit of Bedlam Mike Gundy last night, but OSU made a couple plays at the end and won the game. At the end of the first half, Oklahoma has the ball. You've got three timeouts left. Oklahoma State elects not to use any timeouts. Oklahoma State could have gotten the ball back with a minute and a half and a timeout. And instead, they get the ball back with 36 seconds left and three timeouts. They run one play and go to the locker room with all three of those timeouts. I thought that that was uh, pretty – pretty. Uh, it just – Spencer threw the pick, and you could tell that they got scared, and they were just trying to get to halftime. And I just – I can never get behind that. But, again, Oklahoma State made the plays. Oklahoma State got it done at the end. Also, in the fourth quarter, uh, Oklahoma State gets the ball back with 116 left after Oklahoma turns it over on downs on a great play by Devin Harper. And what do they do? They don't run a jet sweep. They don't run a Spencer Sanders keeper. They don't do anything creative in the run game. They turn around and hand off three times, kick it back to Oklahoma, and it could have cost them the game. So I was not thrilled with the way both end-of-half scenarios were handled. I thought that they were both. I thought the end of the first half and the end of the second half was some very scared coaching on Oklahoma State's side. But last night you got away with it, so we all get to be happy and uh, have a fun week heading to Arlington. Are you coming after Mike after beating Oklahoma and going to the Big 12 championship game right now? I said I had these takes prepared, <laughs> and then I kind of gave the takes. So I, I guess I kind of was. There were some other things which were good last night, but at, at the end of the halves, be aggressive. Were you not? I, were you not? Were you not scared Spencer was going to throw another pick? Because I certainly was. And at the end of the first half, or at the end of the game, end of the first half. I mean, he just um, threw a horrible. That that should have been a pick six. I still don't know how they knocked him out of bounds, but. I, I, I will agree with you on this aspect, Colby. If OSU was getting the ball to start the second half, I'm way more fine with just kneeling there and not trying to go get more points. But I got to admit, in the moment, I was seeing Bedlam ghosts like Mike, and I was ready to get to halftime. I, don't, I mean, you, you're, you're more aggressive than I am at that point because I, I was scared that Spencer was going to throw another interception at that point. Yeah, I'll say this. I, I mean, I'm not like – railing on Coach Gundy or anything because I think that he should be the national coach of the year and I think uh, Coach Knoll should win the Broyles Award for what they've accomplished this year. This team's win total was seven and a half prior to the season. So, um, yes, do I think that Oklahoma State should have gotten creative and tried to get one first down at the end of the game to win it? Yes, I do. Did it almost cost them the game? Yes, it did. But you get the win. That's all that matters. So many times in Bedlam, we have seen the exact combination of weird things that need to go 100% right for OU to win the game. We've seen all those things happen so many times. And last night was finally the time where in the fourth quarter, it all came up orange. When's the last time that that happened? It's just, it was really magical to watch. No, it was. And again, for people that like to remind me that I was down on Mike after the first two games. I did pick Oklahoma State to go 10-2, and two, and they obviously exceeded that by going 11-1, and one, but it's not like I thought OSU was just terrible and that the program was a quagmire. I thought they'd be in this position going to, into the OU game, and I thought they would lose to OU, but so let's, let's more on the first half. I mean, again, the offense kept Oklahoma State in it with how well they were playing because, Colby, I thought Oklahoma did a really good job of really understanding that 
they were going to have some deep shots. They were going to have some one-on-one battles that they were willing to take because that's what Jim Knowles really likes to give up by putting on pressure. And it just, I was seeing, like, I was sitting with my dad and my buddy, Matt Million, who was so gracious to, to, to hook us up with some sweet tickets. Thanks again to Sean Taylor, who arranged that for Matt, and we just had a great time. I mean, Colby, I, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be tough to go to an OSU football game and not be in the suites. That is an unbelievable setup. What they've built there in Boone Pickens Stadium is just remarkable. The, the, that experience was just incredible. But as we're watching the game, you know, I, I know a lot of OU fans, and they've been just ruining the fact that Austin Stogner has been a complete non-factor this year. So, of course, of course, and this is probably just me watching too many Bedlam games over the span of my life, but of course, Caleb Williams on third down and long, Knowles dials up a perfect blitz. He's about to get hit in the mouth. He just throws it up for grabs for Austin Stogner, who's been a complete non-factor for Oklahoma this entire season. I mean, he catches a, what, a 52-yard touchdown, and that, that might have equaled his yardage for the season. And so at that point, I'm like, of course. The guy that, oh, you just, they couldn't get involved all season long. Williams just throws it up for grabs after he's getting hit in the mouth. And, and look, you got to give OU credit for that. They, they gave opportunities to their players downfield to make one-on-one plays, and they made two huge ones, the, the Austin Stogner jump ball and then the, the Braden Willis jump ball as well. Just I thought the OU offense and Lincoln Riley did about what you can't – all you can do if you see Knowles dialing up pressure. Yeah, I mean, last night in the first half, I really thought that Lincoln Riley was un – Believable. He took everything that Oklahoma State's defense does well, as well as anyone in the country, and he used it against them. He said, come on, bring it. You want to bring seven? Bring seven. Give us one-on-one opportunities. We're going to take somebody who's six foot six, and we're going to put him out on a 5'11 corner or safety, and we're just going to let him go to work and moss somebody. It was Lincoln Riley in the first half. It was like watching Leonardo da Vinci with a paintbrush. He was just, every stroke was perfect. He was dialing up exactly what, it need, what he needed to. And then at halftime, Jim Knowles went in. He took Leonardo da Vinci's paintbrush. He snapped it over his knee and he threw it in the trash. And Jim Knowles said, all right, go ahead then. We're going to drop back into a zone. We're going to generate pressure with three or four guys because we're good enough up front to do that with guys who grew up 30 miles from your campus who you didn't recruit beat us now. And you know how many points they scored in the second half? Zero on offense because Jim Knowles at halftime made all the adjustments and he bested Lincoln Riley last night. Lincoln Riley was so good in the first half. Games aren't won in the first half. Jim Knowles was at his best probably the best I've seen him all season because he loves to be aggressive. That is his DNA. And he swallowed his pride. He didn't let his ego get in the way. He said, what is the best way to stop Oklahoma tonight? The best way to do that was to try to get pressure with three and four and make Caleb Williams find guys in a, a soft zone. And it just was not happening. It was an unbelievable chess match between Riley and Knowles from first half to second half. Well, and that's what won the game. Jim Knowles won the game. Like, it, I don't, I'm not here to listen to anything about calls, any, any of this nonsense. OU in the second half, eight possessions, seven first downs, 136 total yards, 56 on the, on the run in the last minute. Nearly, you know, a third of their yards nearly on, the last, on the, one of the last plays, the run by Caleb Williams. The defense won the game. The best unit on the field was OSU's defense, which we thought going in, 
that's what won the game. I'm not here to listen to missed calls. We can go about the missed off offsides call on the on the safety that OSU gave up. That's what won the game. I don't want to hear any more crap about referees and missed calls. The best unit on the field went and won the game. So you're told Jim Knowles' adjustments once again. I thought it was brilliant. And at times I was getting a little frustrated by the lack of blitzing, but you're right. He knew they could get home with three or four rushers, and they did. And the coverage, there was nowhere for Caleb Williams to go. How many times did he scrambling around with nowhere to go? It's particularly that last tackle for a loss from a, or that tackle for like a five-yard game by Devin Harper on fourth down was just it was just a masterpiece. You're right. I mean, he he snapped the the paintbrush over his knee, and it was just a, it was a total masterpiece. But going back to that before that touchdown to Stogner, it was only 29 yards. It felt like 59 yards in my head watching the game live. Colby, I'm sitting there with my dad watching the game. OU's back to punt from their own or from OSU's territory. I kind of nudged my dad and just kind of, we just kind of looked at each other and just kind of nodded like, if they rush the punter here, we're going to, we're going to storm the field. Not only did they rush the punter, look, they're not even trying to return the kick. So why are you sending a rusher after the punter? after the nightmare that was the Texas game last year. Now, in person, I thought he went under the, the punter and didn't touch him. It's hard to see from where we were. Apparently, he ran into the plant leg, and by definition, that's roughing. I thought it should have been running into. But, Colby, how many times have we talked about this? Why do they do it? I mean, if you want to rush the punter when he's backed up in his own end zone, fine. I still wouldn't do it because you want to get the ball back to your offense. That's the most important thing. And what do they do, Colby? They completely – the defense gets a great stop in their own territory, and they completely let OU off the hook. Yeah, and this was at a point in the game at 14-7 to where you had just gotten a stop, and OU's defense looked confused at that point. They were saying on the OSU radio broadcast that uh, they were, like, looking – for answers on the sidelines. They were, they were confused. They were lost. They, they didn't know what was going on. You've got a good chance to go down. And by the way, the punt would have been a touchback. They, they didn't down it. It would have been a touchback. You'd have gotten to the 20. You had a good chance to go down and take a two-score lead early in what was the most ridiculous college football atmosphere you could ever hope to be in. It was unbelievable last night at Boone Pickens Stadium. And you rush the punter. I could not believe it. I was having such bad Texas flashbacks to a year ago I was ranting in the stands people around us were, were all looking at me like what is this dude's problem why will he not stop with the punt and you know was it a week roughing the kicker call sure I thought that it was don't even put him in that situation I mean let's not complain about the officials we're not OU fans don't even put them in the situation where they can think that you got the plant leg of the punter. I, I thought that that was a disaster, but as Oklahoma State often does, Oklahoma State just found a way. It was, it was wild to watch everything that, that played out last night, but that was seven that Oklahoma State gave them. I, I can honestly say, Carson, that if you would have told me before the game, Oklahoma State turns the ball over three times. They have a roughing the kicker, which is essentially a fourth turnover that leads to seven points. They miss a field goal in a two-possession game that would have cut it to a one-possession game. I just said there's no chance that they win that game. I just said, I just said the fluky game that OU needed to have happened to win Bedlam happened because I thought that it had to be a fluky game for OU to win because I think OU's two touchdowns better if both teams play a clean game. The fluky game happened, and OSU still won, Carson. This is a really good, really deep game 
and just sound football team that can win a lot of different ways. It doesn't always have to be 24 to 11, 24 to 13. They can win a bunch of different ways. I'm just, I'm beyond impressed with what I saw last night. Well, again, I picked 34 to 10, and that's about, you take out the, the rough, the stupidity of rushing the punter in that situation, and what did OU score? 10 on offense? Is that right? Uh, the roughing the punter, let's see. They had nine that, from that's, the that turns into the That turns into a touchdown to Stogner. They shouldn't 17. even have that possession. 17, but that's including one drive, which started from the 12-yard line after the interception. Right, yeah, okay, yeah. So the, the interception, I guess that, that counts against the defense, but come on, I mean, it's on the 12-yard line. I mean, right. I mean, seriously, that's, that's what I thought the OSU defense would give up, and that's essentially what happened. I mean, a, a, the interception counts. I get that. I'm not wiping that away, but, like, as far as Oklahoma getting the ball from a normal field position standpoint, they, got, they had nothing for them. They had nothing. I mean, it was 10 points, essentially, which is what I predicted. And they scored 37. And then seven of that's from from uh, the muff punt from, from OU, but which we'll get to. But so, Colby, entering halftime, I'm sitting there going, how in the hell is this game tied? Like, that that's a total disaster. I mean, the roughing the punter and, and the pick was just a total gift. It was a total gift. And so, that's fine. It's a tie game. And – what does Oklahoma State do in the third quarter? Colby, I audibly said out loud to my row, which was just me and my dad and, and Matt <laughs> at this point in the suite. I was going to say, are you like holding court with 15 people up there or what? No, and I'm just, I'm just speaking to the, to the heavens. I'm speaking to Squinky himself. I'm looking to the heavens and saying, I don't want to play Bedlam anymore. I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore. I'm just so tired of seeing OSU just fumble a game away. Like this was, I was getting such 2013 vibes. I couldn't even see straight. And my dad said unspeakable things about rushing the punter. I mean, he's mostly pretty quiet. He's not very boisterous. I'm very similar in the stands. I don't do a whole lot of clapping and stuff, but even he was just like saying unspeakable things about rushing the punter. And it gets worse from there in the third quarter. I mean, was the muffed was the muff punt before the the safety? Uh, no, the muff punt was after. So it was safety. OU got it at their own forty after the safety, and then OSU's defense forced a three and out, which was remarkable. Right after the safety, boom, Brennan Presley. I don't know why he didn't call a fair catch. Dude was literally in his hip pocket as the ball was contacting his arms. You, you got to call a fair catch there. He doesn't. And at that moment, I thought to myself, here we go down the bedlam rabbit hole where it all starts going their way. That's all I could think. I thought the game was over at that point. I mean, back to the safety. I mean, Perion Winfrey had jumped off sides five or six times at this point, and he does it again on that play. I thought it was Redmond. I'm pretty sure on, on, the, on the safety it was Redmond. It was Winfrey the rest of the night. Okay. Well, that, yeah. See, again, this is what happens when you watch the game up in the stands. So I, <laughs> I just assumed it was Winfrey since he was off sides the entire game. They don't call that. I don't know how you didn't recover it. Did you get a better look at that than me? I thought that was a touchdown. I, I couldn't believe that it ended up being a safety. Because as, as that ball hit the ground, I'm like, that's a touchdown. That's, yeah. that's seven. Yeah, we sit in the West End Zone. We were kind of right there on top of it. And Nick Benito, and I can't remember who the other one were, were both converging on it. And, and it's, like, it's like they both overran it. They weren't diving. I don't know if they were trying to pick it up. I don't know what they were doing. But, I mean, that was OU's ball to recover. No doubt about it. They had two guys going for it. And shout out to, was it Birmingham? 
who recovered it for Oklahoma State. I think, I think so, it was. Yeah. If I got that wrong, I apologize. Somebody let me know. I think it was Cole Birmingham who jumped on it. And that's a huge play in that game. I know that you end up getting down by a couple possessions after the muff punt, but that's, that's stuff that's happening later. Being able to fall on that ball and give them two instead of giving them seven, that stuff matters big time. Yeah, I mean, just think if they had fallen on that, where we would be, what we'd be talking about today. I mean, it's just the 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 golf the golf gods. I just played golf today. The football gods were were smiling on OSU on that play. But the Brennan Presley deal, and again, I'm with you. He, he clearly, obviously, should have called fair catch. Or and certainly, and Mike Gundy talked a lot about it in post game. He's like, look, you plant your feet on the eight yard line, and if you go backwards, if you start to go backwards, you just run forwards, and I thought Gundy was really rational about it, and I, he, he sort of put me in Brennan Presley's head. He's like, look, this is what this kid's done since he's been at Bixby. He was trying to make a play. He thought he could change the game by catching that punt and run it for a touchdown, like he did the kickoff return, which we hadn't talked about. But just the fact that he kind of put me in the right headspace, so I kind of get it. Like, it's, he said it's tough to take kids out of the heat of the moment. In that moment, he's trying to make a play. I get it. It's just, it was a bad decision and it totally, totally backfired because all of a sudden Oklahoma state's given up nine points to no fault of their defense. And at that point, Colby, it's just the bet ghosts of Bedlam's past were swirling around my father and I. And at that point I, I thought, I thought I simply thought the game was over because Oklahoma state gets the ball back. And again, look, Mike Gundy, you're right. National Coach of the Year. I don't think there's any debate about that. This is the exact scenario you and I talked about. Fourth and three, 44-yard field goal for Tanner Brown. And look, Tanner Brown has filled in admirably for Alex Hale. It's no fault of his own, but he should not be put in that position. Fourth and three, you got Spencer Sanders' legs running amok against Oklahoma's defense. You've got Jalen Warren. I mean, go make a play. Put it in your offense's hands. And when they missed that field goal, Colby, that's when I truly thought all hope was lost. But I thought that was a horrible decision. Yeah, they missed the field goal. Look, I get it because you're down nine. So you feel like if you cut it to six there, then your defense can get a stop and then you can go take the lead. So I, I do get it. It's I, I was watching Tanner Brown at halftime. Again, we sit in the West End zone, so we're watching him kick at halftime. And he was rock solid from, you know, 35 or so and in. But once he got to 40 and out, he, he missed several just – a couple of feet to the left. Wide left. He was just pulling them. He, he was fighting the pulls at halftime. So then he goes out, and I told my dad when I relined up, I said, I said, he missed a lot in this range at halftime left. I hope he doesn't overcompensate. And sure enough, that ball comes off his right leg, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, he went wide right. I just – I knew it was coming. And at that point, I looked at my dad, and I said, this game is cursed. This series is cursed. We can't win it. What happens? Defense, great possession, forces a punt. Offense, marches down the field. You get down there again into their territory. Interception. At that moment, when he tried to go to Tay in triple coverage, the ball's batted in the air. They get the interception. At that moment, I thought, okay, now the game is over. And then what happens, Carson? The Oklahoma State defense comes out and puts Caleb Williams under pressure again. He's very careless and reckless with the football. They, they recover the fumble, go down and score. It's like every – the defense just gives this team so many chances to win games. And all but one time this year, they've, they've capitalized on those opportunities. It was just – 
It was unbelievable the amount of errors that Oklahoma State made in that game last night. And the defense in that second half just kept putting the team on its back and saying, you know what, guys? We know you're going to go score for us. We'll, 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 we'll hold them until then. We'll hold them until then. Go out, score some points, get your job done. It was just the whole thing was maddening. It was frustrating. It was intoxicating. It was an experience unlike any other. It was, I would say that, and the, I believe it was 2018 AFC Championship I game I went to. It was overtime between Mahomes and Brady at Arrowhead. Those are the two best football games I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> this was like a beautiful disaster, though, <laughs> this game. Yes, it was. I mean, you mentioned the, the pick. I mean, again, the, the defense just, what else can you say about a man? They're put just in horrible positions the entire game. OSU's missed a field goal. They have to run back out there, and it's three plays, fumble, recovery, going the other way, and you just think, okay, we're OSU's still in this. And wasn't it the most – like? and, again, I, I want to give Oklahoma credit. Like, the defensive backs made a play on the ball, tipped it up in the air. But at that point, you're like, of course the ball just pops up, like on a tee almost – just into the hands of Oklahoma, right? It just felt like you're right, that this game was cursed, that it was just all the bounces were going to go their way. And what do they do? It's six plays, punt, back to Oklahoma State. And OSU continues to go on a march here. It's it's what? It's 33-24 at this point. And Spencer Sanders makes the best play of his entire career. They run, Colby, they ran that option play to the short side of the field. And it looked like he had nowhere to go with it. It honestly looked like the pitch was somewhat covered. It looked like if he cut into the middle of the field that he was going to get tackled immediately. And Spencer Sanders just proved what we all kind of thought he was in terms of an athlete in this game. He was absolutely electric running the football. And he, again, he's not a big bruiser like a Jalen Hurts or even a Caleb Williams in certain aspects with his physicality. He's just pure electricity, man. He's just shot out of a cannon, makes the best run of his career, 37-yard touchdown run. Boone Pickens Stadium at this point is absolutely swaying, and despite all of the just pure shenanigans from the offense, the special teams, despite all of that, despite trying to give the game away, essentially, with special teams blunders and offensive blunders, OSU's right there. I mean, it's, it's a, now a two-point game. And it's just – it's remarkable the play that Spencer made on that play. Yeah, that play was incredible. He came up with the – I mean, you could argue the best performance of his career in the biggest game of his career whenever we talk about that fourth quarter last night. I mean, games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. We know it. You go into the fourth quarter of Bedlam trailing by nine in a game that you once led by seven – right before halftime. And that run, I'm telling you, that was coming right at us in the West End Zone. I, I mean, they run the option right there, and it looks like OU has it totally walled off. And then he fakes the pitch, takes a couple of steps, and he's in the open field. It's just him and a safety. He puts his, the palm of his hand right on the crown of that dude's helmet, puts him in the turf, and then he's just faster than everybody on the back end. It was a remarkable run from Spencer Sanders. I, I couldn't believe that he broke out of that mosh pit in the middle of that defense and came out the backside. That was absolute nails. And then Carson, oh, defense gets a stop. OU gets a stop. And then Tom Hutton sends a punt to the four-yard line. 
and Carson, when Eric Gray tried to field that punt and failed, when I tell you that we all jumped up onto the row of bleachers in front of us to make sure that we were seeing what we had actually just seen, it was, uh, again, I, 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 I don't know how many times I can say this, it was a magical moment. As the ball was in the air, do you know what I said? What? I said, he's got to fumble it. Oh. He's got to fumble it. Why is he fair catching it at the three-yard line? He thought he would have learned from, from Presley. But I, I literally said out loud, Matt Amelia can, can, can vouch for this. I said, he's got to fumble it. Just, I don't know why I said it. I just felt like the, the football gods, the bedlam. I felt like Squinky owed us one. And he, he muffs it, touchdown, all is right in the world. And and you're so right. Like, why did he try to catch it there? I, I don't know. But I thought it was very interesting on the post game. This was fascinating to me. Dave Hunziker, Deanna Made, who, who you, you know as well, they're talking about that play in particular. And Hunziker said this. And it, I look, now that he, once he said it, I kind of envisioned him. I was like, you know what? He's right. He said, Tom Hutton puts weird weird spin on the ball he said it gives osu's players so much trouble in practice and if you just watch him punt he, he drops the ball at a weird angle those rugby style punters manipulate the football differently than a traditional punter they just do and i thought when you watched it did it, did it hit his face mask did it end up hitting uh eric gray's face mask i couldn't tell but I, I don't think it did i think it just went kind of through his, his arms and popped out well, softly and, and by the way whoever was down there for oklahoma state I, I wish i knew who it was down there johnny on the spot just standing just in case he muffed it he was ready boom he was on that ball so fast demarco jones recovered it yes shout out to marco score. jones you get a bullet but if you just go back and watch it and just i'm going off memory here but it felt like he was going to his right and at the last minute it kind of just turned slightly to the left and I think that's what threw him off. And I think it goes down to what Dave Hunziker was talking about with Tom Hutton. I think he just – that's how he gets those weird bounces around the goal line, is able to pin people deep. He, I think you got to give Tom Hutton credit for doing his – what he does, and that's manipulate the football. And I think that's what gave Eric Gray more trouble than anything. Obviously, trying to field it where he did was, was a bad decision, clearly. But I do think the, what he did to the football had a, had a real effect on it, and that just completely flipped the game in OSU's favor. Yeah, I think so. Tom Hutton's been really good this year because one thing we can't forget is I mean, Oklahoma State, yes, Mike Gundy has relied on his defense a lot. And I talked about this last week when we were previewing the game. I'm like, if you punt from your opponent's 45, I mean, it's a lot better decision when your punter pins them at the three than it is if it goes into the end zone and it's a touchback. Or if they don't get it down there far enough and they fair catch it at the 16, something like that. And what did Tom Hutton do? He sent it down to the four. And even if if Eric Gray just totally gets out of the way, bails, and, and waits for that punt to land, Oklahoma State's going to down you inside the five-yard line. So credit to Tom Hutton. That weird spin that he puts on the ball does give people trouble. And that, to me, I, I thought that that was probably the biggest – negative play of the game for Oklahoma. I, I know that there were some others, but that was the one to me that I'm like, man, if they get the ball back there and they can just put any kind of drive together, because that's when Oklahoma State had all the momentum. If they can put any kind of drive together and God forbid they go score a touchdown and go back up by nine, then that puts you in a really tough position. It was just, it was a huge, huge moment. Those are always the moments in Bedlam that go their way. It felt really nice for it finally to go our way. Yeah, and... Again, even if they don't muff it there, here's their drives in the second half. Punt. Uh, the Obviously, the, the fumble recovery touchdown. Fumble. Punt. Punt. 
punt, downs, downs. I mean, again, it was a horrible play by Oklahoma. No one's denying that. But I'm sorry. They weren't going anywhere on offense. (laughs) The defense won this game for OSU, and they were going to win it regardless. Now, it certainly set up a a short field. I I grant you all of that. But OSU punches it in for a touchdown. What did you think about the two-point conversion try? Uh, I thought, honestly, I kind of thought it was a busted play. I guess it wasn't. I guess that's what they were trying to run. What about the decision, though? Did Uh, you like that? I mean, I I have a thought on it, but I I no, I I did not like the decision. I would have probably kicked it there, um, but because then you're only down by two if they score a touchdown as opposed to three. I guess you make them go for two. So that was that was my my whole thing. I probably wouldn't have gone for two there. Um, But then on the on the play itself. The way Spencer kind of casually started to roll to his right, I thought he was waiting for a tight end or something to pop out into the back of the end zone for a little jump pass. And then I realized, oh, no, this is just a straight QB draw, and it's not blocked very well. It was it was well, weird. Well, he handed it to Warren, didn't he? Um, no, yeah. he kept it on the two-point conversion. Warren scored the touchdown, and then Spencer kept it on the two-point conversion. Oh, he did? Okay, yeah. that's right. Yes. So I, I thought the decision was – I understand what they were trying to do, go up by six, but Gabe Burkett didn't get to miss an extra point. So I understand what they were trying to do there. Um, the the design of that play I thought was really weird. And again, I thought Casey Dunn had a great night, but the two-point conversion left me scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, I just, you know, my dad is, he's very knowledgeable about a lot of things, but I think he, he really has a good grasp, I feel like, on when to go for two. And he's always been of the opinion you don't go for two until the fourth quarter. I think that's a really good rule to live by because we were watching a Dallas Cowboys game on Thanksgiving and they don't, it's like people only factor in what it's going to make that score in that, on that play. They don't factor in if the other team kicks a field goal or, or scores a touchdown, what it does to your margin from there. And on that particular instance for OSU, he was like, why are we going for two? I was like, I don't know. He's like, if they score a touchdown, we're only down two. And I just – it was strange. And, and again, it didn't, it didn't end up mattering, and it, it probably didn't matter in the grand scheme of things anyway. I just I, – that, that fascinated me, that decision. And the play didn't work, and I'm with you. I thought Casey had a really good, really good game regardless. But so, OSU somehow is leading this game 37-33. And the defense, Colby, I mean, what else can you say? I mean – Colin Oliver gets a sack on third and eight, forcing a punt. OSU, <laughs> there's 644 left in this game. And OSU, you would have thought there was 144 left in this game because it's run, penalty, false start, run, no gain, passing complete to Blaine Green, or pass complete to Blaine Green, six yards, well short of the uh, the 14 yards to gain. And it's, it's a punt. And then the defense is trotting back out there. And again, I think on the next possession for OU, is this when they had the uh, the backwards pass? Uh, yes, the Jaden Hazelwood kicked out of bounds. What are they doing throwing a backward pass in that moment? Also, what is Caleb Williams doing missing his guy by three yards on a, a quick screen? No, I, I, I get my drives confused. But anyway, I, I just – what else can you say, Colby? I mean, Caleb Williams, I thought, played a great game in terms of – it felt like he was completely on an aisle and had to go win it for Oklahoma with the lack of – and, again, Kennedy Brooks ran for about eight yards of carry. It seemed like Lincoln Riley once again abandoned the run. But, man, if, if Oklahoma had trotted out Spencer Rattler in that game, Colby, OSU's defense would have sacked him 10 to 15 times. 
Caleb Williams eluded the rush. I lost count how many times he he forced missed tackles in the backfield that would have been sacks. And he he really kept Oklahoma in this game. And he's he's obviously got a bright future. But I just was sitting there thinking, like, man, like if Rattler wins in this game, like OU would have had zero chance to win because right down to the very end, his legs they run for he runs for what fifty yards on the final possession. Where OSU's in prevent and he runs for. Uh, let's see here. What was his the, long run on the night? Because uh, that would have been that one on the last possession. 50, I, I, 56 yards down yeah. to the Oklahoma State 24. And, again, if you want to talk about missed calls and all those things, Oklahoma still did not even so much as get in the red zone in the second half. It was an absolute masterpiece by the OSU defense. And, again, they're in prevent. Williams looks like he's going to go to the sideline, cuts it upfield. And, Colby, I don't know about you, but I just thought, I thought it was a touchdown as soon as he took off. Uh, whenever he took off, I was really nervous. Oklahoma State had some guys on the back end, so I didn't think that he was going to score, but I thought that it was going to lead to a score. And, and might I remind you, this was coming off Oklahoma State getting the ball back with a minute and 16 seconds left, but OU has three timeouts, and Oklahoma State just turned and handed it off three times and just voluntarily gave the ball back. After that big run from Caleb Williams, I turned around into our entire section. I announced, I said, Mike Gundy wanted this. Mike Gundy wanted Lincoln Riley's offense <laughs> on the field to decide the game. That's what Mike Gundy wanted. I was so mad at that moment, Carson. I was seeing red, and I just, I was fuming at that moment. But should have known the defense would get the job done. Um, the... The play on the second-to-last drive for Oklahoma by Devin Harper. I, I want to talk about that one play in particular because that is what makes Jim Knowles so special. That is what makes the buy-in from everybody on that, on that defense so special. Devin Harper on that fourth and ten on the second-to-last drive, he chases Caleb Williams down. And like Caleb Williams did all night long, he eludes an open rusher. For Oklahoma State, Caleb Williams was brilliant in eluding the pass rush. He's going to light those Pac-12 offenses, Pac-12 defenses up next year. Um, Devin Harper goes after him, falls down flat on his face as he misses him, and immediately pops back up like he's spring-loaded, sprints back into the play, chases him down from behind. If Devin Harper is not able to chase him down, he's going to pick up that first down and OU's going to have a good chance to go score and run some clock in the process. It was one of the absolute biggest plays in a game that was full of monster plays and Devin Harper deserves a ton of credit for that. And that play is just the epitome of the buy-in on this defense from Oklahoma state. They're relentless. And I, I'm totally with you. I thought that really summed up just who this defense is. You get knocked down, he pops up, still somehow makes the play and Malcolm Rodriguez has gotten most of the accolades, most of the hype, and rightfully so. I think Devin Harper's been equally as good this year. He just hasn't had the recognition for it. And I thought he – both of those two guys, I think if you were to hand out MVPs of the game, you got to give it to those two. They were just – they were all over the place. And I just want to give it up to Devin Harper. That guy is a, is a total stud. And Mike Gundy said in the post game. He had to wait his time, man. He's dealt with injuries. He had to wait behind Amen Ogbong-Vamiga. And this was his year. And he really put an exclamation point on it with, by making that play in, in the game he had in Bedlam. And Colby, just the defense wins the game, essentially. You're right. OSU kind of sat on the lead there late. And they get a stop at the very end. Colin Oliver gets the eventual t tackle for a loss for eight yards to sack to, to end the game. And it was just pure pandemonium. Um, before that, though, 
the interference call. I thought that flag was coming out in the moment. OU fans are making a big deal about it. But again, as I've said throughout this entire podcast, they never even entered the red zone. So, like, they were fortunate to even be in the game at that point. Yeah, here's my thing. So, as the play happened live, I watched it live. I told my dad, I said, oh, my God, he didn't turn his head. They're going to throw the flag. And I'm looking, and I'm waiting for it, and I'm waiting for it, and it doesn't come out. Look, OSU fans, it's okay to say that they missed it. It's also okay to say that we don't care. We don't care. 37 to 33. That's the final. You know what happened after second down? There was a third down. And you know what happened after third down? There was a fourth down. The game didn't end at that moment. OU fans need somebody to blame. Guess what? Oklahoma State went 11 and 1 this year. You know what the one was? The one was on an improper spot on fourth down in Ames. That was the incompetency of the officiating. That was fourth down. Iowa State came out on the field and took knees. The game was over at that moment. Oklahoma State's one loss of the season was decided by a missed call on fourth down at the end of the game. Miss me with the whole second down pass interference cost you the game. Also, all these OU fans walking around acting like had that play been called that it's just a guarantee that they would have been able to walk into the end zone and win the game. Did you see what that defense was doing in the second half? Oklahoma State was so much more physical. Oklahoma could not move the ball at all. They had one big fluky play where the seas parted for Caleb Williams on that last drive. Aside from that, that offense was a train wreck the entire second half. And again, you know what comes after second down whenever that penalty wasn't called? Third down and fourth down. You get stopped on third down, and then you know what happens on fourth down? It was the most fitting way I've ever seen a game in. Oklahoma State, number one in the country in sacks, rushes three Guys, three, they got to Caleb Williams in two seconds. And like I said earlier, it was Colin Oliver who grew up 30 miles from Norman, Oklahoma, who they decided wasn't good enough to play for them. They didn't recruit him. They didn't want him. He ended their season. It was poetic. And he's a freshman All-American, by the way. 100%. Didn't recruit him. And, and you're so right. Like It's as if these fans from OU think it's like the NFL rules where they get the ball on the one from that interference. Like you still got plenty of work to do with very little time against this defense. You've done literally squadoosh against the entire game. So I'm not here for that. What I am here for OSU wins 37, 34 or 33. Sorry. Uh, 37, 33, 37, 33. Carson on the missed PI. That was supposed to be a back shoulder throw. Caleb Williams missed his spot by four yards. So while you're looking at the ref, why don't you look at your quarterback too? Cause he might've caught it. If the, if the throw was four yards further North, <laughs> You had a good angle on that in the west end zone. That was actually in the east end zone. but I know, but you were behind the plate where you could see how far left or right the ball was moving. Oh, yeah. Also, I couldn't I've, tell I've, from where I was. I've watched that replay a whole bunch of times. I've watched, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't rewatch the whole game today, but I rewatched a lot of the key plays over and over again. Well, and just it's, it's totally astonishing to me in hindsight, that OSU won this game, given all of the squinky that happened in this game. We, we, we've gone through it all, the muff punt, the things of that nature. And this is another aspect people were countering from Oklahoma's perspective with misplays. They kept throwing out the kickoff return from Brennan Presley. Hold on a second. Special teams wins football games. That is an art form of football. That is a strategic thing of football. The better special teams unit won the game too for Oklahoma State. Because what does OU do? 
They sit back there. They call fair catch left and right. The one time they didn't, they got stuffed at the 10. That's a team that doesn't even practice kickoff returns. Oklahoma State saw a real advantage in it. They, they were so dominant with their kickoff return units. Obviously, the 100-yarder was, was so needed in the perfect moment. Great play by Brennan Presley. That's what he does. It's what he's done since he's been in Bixby High School. But Oklahoma State was so effective on kickoff returns, Oklahoma started doing the pooch kick to like the 20-yard line because they were tired of giving up big plays in the kick return game. That's an aspect of football. That's not your punt returner dropping the football for a touchdown for the other team. So miss me with the, well, we gave you the kickoff return. That's the same as the safety where we were offside. Come on. Come on. Like, no, just, give my Gundy's team credit. We, Colby, for years, I thought OSU's special – ever since DeForest left, I thought their special teams return units were among the worst in the country. And last night, that was as good of a return unit as you'll see in college football now with the, with the fair catch rule getting the ball at the 25. They, that became a real weapon in this game as far as field position. It did. Because you'll remember the kickoff uh, – the previous kickoff from Oklahoma when they made it 7-7 to – I mean, Presley returned it out to the 43-yard line, I think, yeah, on that one. Exactly. Very next one they send back to him. He takes the 102 yards to the house. Like you said, that's a big part of football. And one thing that was really underrated about last night, I know that OU had the, uh, the, the one interception where they started at Oklahoma State's 12, but the majority of the game, Oklahoma State dominated the field position battle. Oklahoma was starting inside its own 20 a bunch. And a couple of those, like you said, were just on kickoffs. I mean, Oklahoma State was kicking it off, and they're trying to bring it out from the goal line or even from the three or four-yard line, and they're not making it back to the 15. It was uh, pretty dominant on kickoff for Oklahoma State. I- I'm telling you, you, you've got the Brandon Presley muffed punt, which leads to an OU touchdown, just scoop and score. They fall on it in the end zone on that play. And you've got the missed field goal from Tanner Brown. Those are obviously very devastating plays. It led directly to them having seven and took three off the board from you, 10-point swing. I get that. Without those, it was such a remarkable special teams performance. It was a special teams performance that I didn't know that Oklahoma State was capable of. And I'm just glad that the return game has finally uh, made its return to Oklahoma State because it's been far too long since there's been an electric return man back there, and Brennan Presley is clearly that guy. He was great. And, again, make no mistake, the best team won the game. The better team won the game. You look at the the defense in the second half. You look at the way the OSU offense played compared to Oklahoma's offense. Like, the best team won. And it's just – it's a simple fact. And (laughs) – Colby, did you, did you try to storm the field after the game? Because it was pandemonium once the, the final seconds ticked off. Well, Carson, I have a pregnant wife. I have a boot on my right foot. So, oh, no. yeah. Get the moon boot? Uh, yeah, I've had the boot. I've had the boot on for like a month right now. It's not, it's not a fun story, so I haven't really talked about it. I have what's called Achilles bursitis, which is basically just oh. like inflammation and stuff behind my Achilles. It's it's weird. So they wanted to throw me in a boot so, so that I'd rest it for six weeks or so. Uh, I've got my follow-up on Tuesday, but I'm playing golf in Arizona on Thursday. So the follow-up's kind of irrelevant. Um, what, what was I talking about here? Oh, yeah, the storming of the field. So we waited a good 10 or 15 minutes after the game once everyone had kind of done all the, the, the storming and everything. And then we walked down. We walked down the steps onto the field, took a couple of pictures, took in the, may- the, the mayhem and the chaos, and then we headed out and called it a night. So we did go down on the field, but we did not rush the field. We did not jump over the wall. I, and by the way, going into that game, 
I would have thought, you know, if you go out and beat Oklahoma 38 to 14 or something, there's no drama there. In that situation, it's be, it'd be like, yeah, you know what? We took care of business. Field rushing, not necessarily necessary. But last night, the way that you won the game, the demons that you exercised in that game last night, I was cool with it. Oh, it was fantastic. Just, it was, again, I've, I've been to a lot of games in Stillwater. I was there in 2011 when they won the Big 12 championship. Clearly, that was bigger because you, you cinched the Big 12 championship. They still have a game to play with Baylor. But just, man, with, with all the SEC stuff, with Oklahoma coming in there at 10-1, to win that game with their defense was just – it's a night I'm never going to forget, man. I mean, my dad, my dad had the bedlam ghosts swirling around him. He was very quiet towards the latter stages of the game. But just to see the smile on his face and the people there in Stillwater was just – it's something I'm never going to forget, man, because, look, like, these seasons, they, they come and go. It doesn't feel like 2011 was, was 10 years ago, but it is. And regardless of what happens from here on out with Baylor and the playoff and with OU going to the SEC, for a night, Oklahoma State thoroughly deserved to win, and they didn't let all of the squinky come back to bite them. Because they, 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 in years past, they would have lost that game. And this has just proven to be a different team. And the difference is they're now elite on defense. You can overcome special teams gaffes if you've got Jim Knowles and Colin Oliver and Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez, Colby Harvell Peel and Brendan Evers, and the list goes on and on. And Colby, it was just, it was a special night, man. I'm, I'm glad I was there. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was history. It, it was Oklahoma State history. It was really special. Um, Oh, I think I lost you. I think you might be muted. Carson. I got you back now. Are you there? Yeah, okay. Must have been a connection issue. Sorry, you said it was special? Uh, your internet connection is unstable. Okay, so I'm battling internet connection, but you got me now? Yep. You okay, said it was special as last I heard. Okay, yeah, so it, it was a special night to be there. And what I was going to say is you, you watch those seniors walk and you realize there are some seriously special guys who are walking out that door at the end of this season. And, and like you said, 2011 doesn't feel like 10 years ago, but the way we look back on that season, the, the, the place in Oklahoma State fans' hearts that some of those guys on that 2011 team have – it's going to be the same way we look back at this 2021 season. This team is special. These seniors are special. These coaches are special. It's occasionally it just all comes together and it all goes your way. And aside from one fourth and two where you don't get the spot that you wanted at Ames, it's all come up orange in 2021 for a team that, again, had a seven and a half win total at the beginning of the season. It's just – I. It, it was special. It, my, my wife's pregnant. Uh, yesterday was 21 weeks along in the preg pregnancy, so my daughter's coming into this world a winner. She was at Bedlam last night. It's just the, the whole thing was very, very special. Are you naming her Devin Harper Powell? Oh, I hadn't thought about Harper. We, so uh, she's going to be named Layla, but uh, I haven't thought about anything like that. It's <laughs> Jim I, Knowles. I, she can go I, by Jim. Jim Knowles Powell. She can go by Jim. I saw. Go by Jimmy. 
It's just the fact that you bring this up. I saw a really funny tweet a while ago about all the kids in this state that are named Lincoln and they're going to have to go to the courthouse and rename <laughs> their children. And I Man. just, when I saw that, I died laughing. And, and you saying that brought, made me think oh, of it. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I want to get to some of the extracurriculars in the stadium. I mean, oh, yeah. Des throwing up the X with the X chain on was fantastic. I just, I loved that. Uh, guess who was sitting behind me in the suites for the first half, Colby? Uh, good question. No idea. I'm assuming an, an OSU legend. One Parrish Cox. Hey! Also, that was pretty cool. I uh, didn't bother him at all. I just kept watching the game. But that was pretty cool. And uh, the suite we were in had Joe Adkins, Keontae Roberts, uh, Brandon Whedon. It was, a, it was a who's who. It was way more bougie than I'm, than I'm used to. I'm used to roughing it down down in the, in the bleachers, but it was a, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. And, and speaking of extracurriculars, Colby, how great was AJ Ferrari taking his shirt off and flexing at the OU team? And not only that, the OU football players were talking trash back to him during a timeout and he was just going insane. That guy is an animal. If the entire OU huddle would have walked over there to fight AJ Ferrari, they all would have left on stretchers. Every last one of them. Every last one of them. It was everything in that stadium last night was just about perfect. Warren coming out, riding in with Les before the game, getting the chance started doing the OSU. He was the Pistol Pete partner again. Warren was awesome. Des being there was awesome. Um, the, the atmosphere was, again, it was just special. It's, it's, it's unlike – there are moments in college football. I, I've always said that the product in the NFL is better but the pageantry in college football is just something that can't be duplicated. And last night was the full display of pageantry in the college football uh, landscape. It was, it was an unbelievable place to be. Uh, I'm glad that I was there last night. And uh, by the way, the stars were out. I mean, Des was there. Uh, I think Hart Lee said that he was going to be there. I don't know if I saw him, and I'm pretty sure he said he was going to be there. I was going to the concession stand before the game, uh, and I was looking at my phone. Another guy was looking at his phone. We bumped into each other. I, was like, I looked up. I was like, oh, sorry, man. And I looked up, and it was Adrian Peterson. He was looking for his seats, trying to figure out where his seats were. The stars were out last night. The original, the original Adrian Peterson. Uh, yes, yes, Adrian Peterson. Not the sooner. <laughs> No, 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 no. The Sooner, Adrian Peterson. Oh, I thought you meant the basketball player from Oklahoma State. It was actually Adrian Peterson? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. The recently unemployed Tennessee Titans. Oh, my. Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I bumped into him. And I, I looked up. I was like, oh, sorry, man. And I'm like, oh, you're Adrian Peterson. Cool. Have a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, go Pokes. I think I said go Pokes or something like that. Just kept on walking. But, um, yeah, it was the stars were out in Stillwater. Yes, they were. It was, it was awesome. Um, I didn't make it to the Neon Palms. So look, there's, there's no way I was getting into Neon Palms last night. The students definitely probably beat me there. So I, I headed home. And just now, Colby, you look ahead, Big 12 championship game. This is shaking out perfectly. Kind of how you mentioned several weeks ago, you kind of were of the opinion they should, they should want to play Baylor in the Big 12 title game because handing OU two losses in a row would knock them down the, the rankings for the second matchup. Now you get a top 10 Baylor team. They had to scrape by tech. Their quarterbacks hurt. I think OSU's like a five and a half point favorite coming into this game into Arlington. And I, again, they, they beat Baylor with three interceptions from Spencer Sanders and um, beat them by double digits. So it's, it's a good matchup, but they still have work to do because there's, there's more work to be done come playoff time. Yes, there is. I, I wanted to see if Jerry Bohannon is still going to be hurt, um, you know, day to day. I, I don't know if he'll be back this Saturday or not, but Oklahoma State, 
Yes, it was a home game. So it being a home game matters. You're at Boone Pickens Stadium. But Oklahoma State lost the turnover battle by three that night. Three turnovers for Oklahoma State, zero for Baylor, and won that game by double digits. I just think that this is a good matchup. And an- another reason that I didn't want back-to-back bedlams was because of Squinky. Carson, it's just Oklahoma State's a better team than Oklahoma. But that stuff just doesn't seem to matter in Bedlam. Like, it's just a weird game. Weird stuff happens. It's wildly emotional. There's, it's crazy. Now, one thing that this team, and it's a veteran-laden team, I'm not super worried about this, but it is in the back of my mind. You can't have the Bedlam hangover. Last week wasn't your goal. Your goal is to win the Big 12 championship and go to the college football playoff to have a chance to compete for a national championship. Last night was a step on the way to that goal, and I I hope that Oklahoma State comes to play against Baylor. I'm looking at the line at five and a half, but I just think it's a really good matchup for Oklahoma State, uh, and you don't have to deal with all the emotional nonsense of playing OU in back-to-back weeks. Also, Shout out to the one kicker that, I, that was on my list. You remember, Carson, I had the list, and I put Jonathan Garibald at Texas Tech on it, and I said he's the only kicker I trust. And <laughs> it's Jonathan Garibald I trust because he missed his first field goal of the season at the end of the Tech-Baylor game yesterday to keep, Texas Te- or to keep Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Shout out, Jonathan Garibald. You're my guy. I thought of you as he was lining up for the kick. I was like, oh, my God, of course it has to be this guy kicking a 52-yarder. Of course he's going to make it. And he, he did OSU a solid, no rematch. And I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to play OU anymore. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, if that's the last Bedlam game, I'm, I'm happy. And OSU fans can, can comment. Every time someone posts the all-time record, they can just comment with, you know, 37-33. Just leave it at that. Yeah, you but, know what? I understand why OU fans were so mad last night because can you imagine how helpless of a feeling it is to know that you've just absolutely dominated a team for a hundred years and then what could very well be the last meeting between the two of you, you go into their place and they end your season. Like, oh, it's just, it, it's all so poetic, Carson. I can't get enough. It, it kind of reminds me of when OSU lost the last game in Gallagher-Iba, old Gallagher to OU. It, it was very similar kind of feelings, only flipped for, for the first time ever. It was flipped for, uh, for Squinky. But, no, you're, you're totally right. And the playoffs, Colby, I mean, Ohio State loses to Michigan. They're out. Uh, and I, it missed me with that Todd McShay saying that Ohio State's just better than Cincinnati. Get out of here. We play That's the games so for a reason. It's just so stupid. And you uh, shouldn't even acknowledge it. No one should even acknowledge those stupid. It's comments. just, and it's just like, why do we play the games again? Just if, if that's if that's your reasoning, just put Alabama and Ohio State in the playoff every year and just call it a day. But we don't do that because they're out. So Georgia, Alabama somehow wins. Everyone in the press or in the the suites were rooting for. Bam, uh, Auburn, obviously. I don't know why Auburn didn't go for two. You're, you're Auburn. You're playing Alabama. Go for the win. But Alabama wins. Cincinnati, Michigan. And I think Oklahoma State will jump Notre Dame, Colby. Do you? I think it's going to be Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, then Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think it's uh, – so I think it'll be Georgia one. I think that either Alabama or Michigan – We'll slot in at two. I think that Michigan getting that win over Ohio State and Bama struggling with Auburn could jump Michigan all the way up to two. Uh, I think you'll then have either Michigan or Alabama at three, whichever one isn't at two. 
Cincinnati at four, Oklahoma State at five, Notre Dame at six. We're already seeing that in the coaches and AP polls where Oklahoma State's leapfrogging Notre Dame. Notre Dame just doesn't have the impressive wins on the schedule. And Oklahoma State has another chance to get another top 10 win next week. I do think that Oklahoma State would jump Cincinnati, even if Bama and Georgia both get in. But man, I was... I was really upset when Auburn lost that game because if Auburn beats Alabama, then it takes away the disaster scenario of Alabama pulling off the upset against Georgia on Saturday. And, and I know that that's unlikely and people think that Georgia's going to dominate that game. Alabama is still Alabama. That's a six and a half point line. It's not like Georgia's favored by three touchdowns. Bama could win that game. And if they do, then things start to get dicey because then you're relying on the committee to put you in over an undefeated, an undefeated Cincinnati team. And I said last week, how perfect would it be if the first time they let a group of five team in, they do it so that they can justify keeping Oklahoma State out. I really wanted Auburn to win. I will be rooting so hard for Georgia on Saturday if Oklahoma State beats Baylor. Um, it's, there's a lot left to be decided, but I think if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, I think they're going to college football playoff. I think you're right, but I, I really want to see Georgia beat Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. I don't want that to even – because those two are in, Colby. That that leaves two spots. You're right. It's going to come down yeah. to Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. And, again – And if Michigan wins, they're in, for sure. Yeah, and they, they could lose. I mean, Michigan certainly impressed me the way they beat down Ohio State, but they, they could certainly lose with as non-dynamic as they are offensively. And, again, Cincinnati has to play Houston. Houston's pretty good. Dana Holgerson only has one loss this year. And so that, that's not a gimme for Cincinnati as well. So, that, look, we'll have to let it all shake out. Oklahoma State, I think, is in a great spot. I mean, three um, – I mean, two top ten wins at the end of the year to, to seal it would be would be a pretty a pretty much a case closed, I would think, for Oklahoma State. But we never know with the helmet logos and the committee. We'll have to wait and see. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was a shocking day today, Colby, on Sunday. Oh, Not, not only does Mike Gundy put on the cowboy hat, and shake Lincoln Riley's hand. He basically gave him the, uh, what was on a tombstone? Uh, was it Curly Bill where he says, well, bye. <laughs> I think that's what Mike whispered into to Lincoln's ear on, on, on Saturday night. Carson, just when I thought that this could not be a better weekend. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> like, I'm like I, I think we've done all we can do. To, to, to just rub salt in the wound of the OU fan base. I, I think this is about as far as this is going to go. Just when I thought it couldn't get any better, Lincoln Riley to USC. We've got OU fans on social media saying this is a bigger betrayal than Kevin Durant. This dude's a coward. This dude's a snake. Take that brisket to California. It's just, again, Carson, the OU tears, it's – that fan base is such a toxic fan base. They are entitled. They are ungrateful. You know, you're talking about how disappointing Lincoln's tenure at, at, at Oklahoma has been, as if Lincoln in four seasons, pardon me, five seasons, didn't win the Big 12 four times, Big 12 coach of the year, three college football playoff appearances. He goes 55 and 10 in his five seasons at Oklahoma. They are so entitled and ungrateful. They think they're Alabama. They're not. They haven't won a national title in 21 years. And finally, 
finally, it's all coming to a head, and they get to be the punching bag for one weekend in college football, and I am loving every second of it. That fan base deserves everything that they are going through right now because, I, I mean, look, I'm not around all these other fans all the time, but I can't imagine a more entitled and ungrateful fan base than the crew down in Norman. Oh, I'm, I won't go there. I have plenty of Sooner friends probably listening, but oh, I do too. And I hope they hate me when they're done listening. <laughs> I hope I can't drive into Norman. I hope I can't cross the city limits without getting pulled over for an illegal lane change. <laughs> well, it's weird because I was kind of laughing at all the LSU stuff, just like how delusional the people in Baton Rouge are. And then I started getting text messages from people that like that know things saying that they think Lincoln is gone and that the staff doesn't know what's happening. And this is before the game. This is on Friday night. And I was like, whoa. But then when Lincoln says, I'm not going to be the coach at LSU, I kind of said, well, yeah, I was right. All the Baton Rouge people are crazy. Well, then the news comes out that he's going to USC. And it's the first time, maybe in OU's existence, that they've been dealt a blow like this. I mean, again, he's the first coach to leave Oklahoma for another college job since 1946 in Jim Tatum. Think about that. They are the winningest program since World War II. They are a behemoth in the sport of college football, which is why they are as entitled as they are, Colby. They just are. I mean, it, the success speaks for itself. But this is a death knell. This is a not a death knell. This is a huge, huge, huge blow for the program in Oklahoma because of the timing. He's taking all their California recruits. The coaching carousel, most coaches are already locked up. I mean, they can go they can go hire someone that already has another job. I'm not saying that, but just it's the first time that Oklahoma has been taken down a peg or two. And really the, in the history of their program, obviously they they were down when they made horrible hires in Schnellenberger and John Blake. We all know that. But for a coach to leave Oklahoma for a lateral move, I think it's a step down, frankly, from Oklahoma. I really do. I think USC's got a lot of issues being in the Pac-12 where no one gives a crap about football. But I was shocked by this. And I can kind of see it in that he can go to the Pac-12. He's going to win that league pretty easily because no one's any good out there. You can recruit to L.A. with the NIL. But the way he handled this, the way the program was handed over to him from Bob Stoops, it's a bad look and it's going to be, there's some bad blood there. There's some literal, there's some real vitriol there amongst Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma Colby is not out of this league yet. They can sit there and say, we're going to the sec. The big 12 ain't letting them go. You want to leave? You got to pay $80 million. Texas, you want to leave 80 million a piece pay up because whoever they hire Colby will be playing Oklahoma state next year in Norman. And as big of a blow as this is for Oklahoma, it's just another positive step for Oklahoma State with having to deal with them for the next year or two in this league, considering they just beat them to go to the Big 12 championship game and keep them out. But for me, Colby, it's just – it's it's a huge deal. It really is. And I, I'm, I'm frankly still shocked by it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was blown away whenever I saw it. And, and I'll say this. While I've had a great time laughing at the pain of OU fans this weekend – I, and, and not that Lincoln Riley cares what I think, 
But how could you not lose a little bit of respect for him for the way that he handled this? I, I mean, reports are that players uh, and recruits found out on social media, and then he called a meeting, spoke for just a couple of minutes, and then walked out of the room, you know, didn't take questions, didn't stick around and do hugs and all that stuff. Look, I'm, I'm not there, but that's just what's being reported. And the way that he answered the LSU question last night, he, he, he said that, and he said it the way he did so that he could shut down any coaching search questions. And the reality is, I mean, he was going to USC, and he probably knew it. They said talks intensified late last night and into the morning. Yeah, they might have intensified. They were already happening. It's Yeah, that's wrong. Kerry Murdoch, uh, the sports animal, did some kind of emergency show today, and you know, I, I really like Kerry. I think he's got excellent sources at Oklahoma. I think he he's a really good reporter. I've, I have the utmost respect for his journalistic integrity. He's not one of those OU blog boys that just bows at the feet at Oklahoma. He's not. He, he's a very respectable journalist, and I've always had a lot of respect for him. He said that Lincoln Riley and at USC came to an agreement on Thursday night. So they oh. – Lincoln typically does availabilities with the beat writers on Thursdays. Well, it was Thanksgiving. And Kerry said basically he took Thanksgiving to to finalize this deal with USC, so he okay. knew going into that game he was he was out. Okay, that's good to know. I, I hadn't seen that yet. Last I saw was that that talks intensified late last night and into the morning. So that just the the way that it was handled uh, was not great. I, I always think you know if you're leaving a job, and especially something like this, because this is like you're not an accountant, you're not working an eight to five, you have walked into these young men's homes you've told them that they can rely on you that you're going to be there for them and if you get a better job offer i'm not telling you don't take it if you've got a chance to do something that you want to do in your life go do it but get your guys together in a room look them in the eye be a man and talk to them and that's that's all that you can ask um and it sounds like that's not the way that this went down so uh yes while i do think it's hilarious that ou football gets brought down a peg i i do think that this should have been handled better by lincoln riley um but again i i will not lose any sleep over the pain of the ou fan base because my respect for the ou fan base and i have a bunch of friends who are ou fans who i like and we talk college football all the time but the fan base as a whole i just yeah they're getting what they deserve in my opinion well, what do you make of the move itself if you're Lincoln Riley? What, what do you think of just the move going to USC in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, to me, OU is at some point going to be headed to the SEC. At that point, what happens to your recruiting? I don't know. I, I don't know that that played a huge factor. Number one, I'm from Oklahoma. I'm 29 years old. I've lived in Oklahoma my entire life. Chances are I will live in Oklahoma my entire life. I love it here. I could totally understand being rich and wanting to live in L.A. instead of living in Oklahoma. I get it. I probably wouldn't want to live in L.A. on my salary. I could probably live in L.A. on Lincoln Riley's salary. So I to as much as I love Oklahoma, I totally get that. You go out to USC, he already has the inroads with all of the major high schools out there. He has been so great at recruiting California at Oklahoma. Imagine how he's going to recruit California at USC. And that conference is weak. I mean, he can go to USC, he can turn that program around, he can become the guy who was able to do it after nobody's been able to do it. It's, nobody cares about USC football when they're down, but when they're up, it's Hollywood. The stars 
are in attendance. I get the draw to want to go out there. I really do. do. Do I think it's a better job than Oklahoma? Not right now. But in five years, whenever Lincoln Riley's had his way with it, no use in the SEC uh, trying to, to battle with Texas A&M, we might look back and we might say, you know what? He was smart to do what he did because he went to a less competitive conference where he's going to have all the best players. And USC, especially when the playoff expands, USC is going to be in it every single year if he gets the guys that we're pretty sure he can get out there. It's a very shrewd move. I agree with that. I mean, and look, I think it's way overblown that Oklahoma is going to go to the SEC and just turn into an 8-4 and four football program. That, that's, that's not happening, guys. I mean, just look at Texas A&M. Middle-of-the-road Big 12 team. They go to the SEC, their recruiting improved significantly. The same is going to happen for Oklahoma, especially on the defensive side. They're probably going to recruit as well on offense without Lincoln, but the same thing is going to happen there. And again, they're not playing Georgia and Alabama every year. They're going to be in a pod with Arkansas, with Texas, with Missouri, and Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, they're going to beat the doors off those teams. And then you go take your chances with Bama, Georgia, and the behemoths of the league. So I'm not sitting here saying Oklahoma is just going away. But I will. I do agree that it's a shrewd move because he can step into, into the Pac-12 this coming year and win the league. And you're right. I mean, when USC's up, you're right. When, when Pete Carroll had them rolling, they were, like, they were like showtime. It was like an NFL – that was basically the NFL team back then now they do have an NFL team so it's a different it's gonna be a little different now that they have two NFL teams in town but still you if you lock down the west coast you can go compete and that's that's one thing that I think Lincoln probably saw too is you can go in the SEC and get your fair share of guys but can you win it can you win the whole thing going up against Saban and Bama I think that scared them a little because if you go to USC it's been proven with Pete Carroll and the guys he got on the west coast you can go win it all and, uh, again, I, I'm shocked he left Oklahoma. Again, I think it's a top three job. I think USC is a worse job. But I certainly get it from just the, the competitive balance and just the, frankly, the, the job security. And I, and I guess, Colby, like this is another sign where Oklahoma, they, I think they rest on their laurels a little bit. It took Bob Stoops a long time to get a stadium built there. And I think Lincoln was really having trouble getting some assurances as far as recruiting budgets, as far as like the offensive analysts. I think Oklahoma State has more offensive analysts than Oklahoma. I think that's what kind of made this move happen is he wasn't getting all of the assurances that he needed from, from Oklahoma. But that, that leads me to Jim Knowles. It's reported that Florida is going after him hard to be their defensive coordinator. Speaking of a head coach needing some assurances, I think Mike Gundy's going to Chad Weiberg and, and Dr. Dr. Shrum right now saying – Let's lock this guy up. He has said earlier in the year they were, they were going to do that, but it certainly seems Jim Knowles, rightfully so, is going to have some job offers out there. Yeah, I mean, this was inevitable. Like, anybody who was surprised at the idea that somebody in the SEC is going to try to pry away Jim Knowles, we've talked about this all year. Somebody in the SEC is going to offer him a big fat check to come run their defense. And Oklahoma State is going to have to offer him a big fat check to stay in Stillwater, and I hope they do, and I hope he takes it because, I mean, again, what we've seen all season from him – is beyond special. What we saw last night was an absolute masterpiece that he crafted in that second half. Did you see Caleb Williams' second half stat line, Carson? Mm, what was it? I didn't see it. Through the air after halftime. He had the one big run late. But through the air after halftime, Caleb Williams was 7 of 18 for 43 yards. It was a masterpiece that Jim Knowles put together. Look, we knew, we knew the SEC was going to come calling. 
I, I wouldn't blame him if he answers the phone, survey all your options, but Oklahoma State has to do whatever they can to keep him. I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little concerned because you mentioned it earlier, they're losing a lot on defense. And I know Mike has said, Jim loves Stillwater, loves being here. The timing's kind of right to take a huge, massive raise. And if OSU can't match it, I'd be a little concerned that he might leave. I really am. But that's it's early. We don't have any indications as to what he's going to do. But I, if I had to bet, I would say he stays and gets a big raise because he's happy here. But just from a on-paper standpoint, the timing certainly seems right with how much they're going to lose on defense. I, I would go 70-30, he stays. So, I, I mean, like, but not by any means do I think he's leaving, but I'm not also going to be one of those people who's, like, blown away, shocked, can't believe that he would leave. And, and if he does, I don't think it's some big betrayal. He's been unbelievable at Oklahoma State. If an SEC school comes and offers him $3 million a year or something stupid to go be the defensive coordinator, I mean, you do what you do. I, I get it. But I hope that he stays. I think that he will stay. Wouldn't be shocked if he left, but um, no, no matter what happens – I will always remember this season and what Jim Knowles did with this defense because this group's special. Uh, don't know if we'll see another one like it. It's remarkable. I mean, to think the bizarro world we're living in where Oklahoma State is in a position to win the Big 12 championship because of their defense, to think the existence we've lived for so many years as OSU fans, all offense, you know, bend but don't break defense, just hang on for dear life to turning into this team where they literally just smother the opposition game in game out. They gave up some big plays to Oklahoma. They've given up some big plays early in games this year. The way they've strangled this conference this year on defense is just, it's remarkable. The manner they've done it is just total bizarre world. And, and I'm here for it. And again, they're six and a half point favorites against Baylor in the big 12 title game. But uh, Colby, let's get to bullets and BBs. Plenty to choose from uh, in our bullets and BBs edition uh, tonight. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't – I really couldn't narrow it down, so I'm, I'm giving out a bunch of bullets. Uh, Spencer Sanders gets a bullet. This is the first bedlam that he has played the entire game fully healthy, and when he needed to be the guy in the fourth quarter, he was the guy in the fourth quarter. That run was so special. The day early, his ability – you know, Jalen Warren was hurting last night. I mean, he, he was not 100%. You bring Dominic Richardson to the game, he fumbles. It, it's just – Things were not going well with the stable of running backs for Oklahoma State last night. He had to be his own running game. He had to be his own play action. He had to be the guy, and he was the guy. So Spencer Sanders' uh, legacy is getting better every single Saturday that he's at Oklahoma State. So Spencer Sanders gets a bullet. Uh, also, you got to give a bullet to um, the, the kid. Remind me his name. I, I said I was going to give him one earlier that recovered Eric Gray's fumble punt because I think that was the biggest play of the game. Marco Jones. Marco Jones, you get a bullet. Also, we talked about them earlier. These two guys are special. Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. Let me just rattle off their stat lines from last night. Malcolm, Har Malcolm Rodriguez had 11 tackles. Five of those were solos. He had three tackles for loss, two sacks, and a pass breakup. Devin Harper had 10 tackles, seven solos, four hurries, a tackle for loss, one sack, plus back-to-back -back plays on Caleb Williams late in that game. It was just a remarkable performance from both of those guys. They were unbelievable. Um, so, so Colin Oliver gets a bullet. Jim Knowles, that entire defense, gets a bullet. It was such a special, special night in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I, I mean, I just handed out six or seven bullets, and that's not nearly enough. I, I just 
I miss people along the way. Also, under the radar bullet goes to Keith Helt. Carson, you familiar with Keith Helt? I am not familiar at all with Keith Helt. Enlighten me. He runs the music at Boone Pickens Stadium. Carson, we did not want to hear Boomer Sooner ringing out from the northeast corner of that stadium, and Keith Helt made sure that we did not because every time they started to fire it up, he pumped music through those speakers so loud that the OU band probably couldn't even hear themselves playing Boomer Sooner. He said, calling home from Baton Rouge or whatever that song is. Um, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, he plays Colin Baton Rouge. He's playing Bye Bye Bye. Should have been a cowboy. Keith Helt had himself a night. He gets a bullet. Now that you mention it, Colby, I don't even remember hearing Boomer Sooner to the point I didn't even know the band was there. He drowned it out all night. It was the most pleasant Bedlam in-person experience, and part of that was because we didn't have to listen to that song all night. Now, I was in the northwest corner, so they were in the – they were in which corner? They were in the uh, – Northeast. 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 So, yeah, yeah it, it was a bad perspective for me to hear it anyway, but I didn't hear it at all. Shout out to, shout out to him. He was real MVP. Uh, I've got two. And first, I'm just going to keep playing this until Oklahoma State wins the national championship. Jim Knowles. Because her father never makes a mistake. So therefore, it is okay. I can smoke stogies around her. I can smoke stogies in my house. First of all, because her father introduced me to stogies. And second of all, because I'm a stud. I'm ballsy. I don't take no shit from anyone. I smoke my stogie anywhere I want. I don't have to find a hideout place like you. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Knowles is the greatest assistant coach in the history of Oklahoma State football. I don't think that's hyperbole. He's going to win the Broyles Award. OSU's had offensive coordinators up for the Broyles Award. The way, I don't care. The way he has completely transformed not only a unit but a culture on one side of the football is one of the most amazing coaching performances I've seen in my life, my lifetime. He has completely changed just the vibe in the stadium amongst the fans. I mean, Colby, you've been to a million OSU games. When it's third and long, what do we expect? We expect rush three, drop eight, first down. Well, he's, he's changed it so much they can rush three and still sack the quarterback. Obviously, the players have certainly helped. The recruiting has gotten better on that side of the football. But I am just simply blown away at what Jim Knowles has done over his tenure at Oklahoma State. It's, it's remarkable. When they hired a guy from Duke, I was sitting there going, what are they doing hiring a defensive coordinator from Duke? And that leads me to my next bullet. Mike Gundy, take a bow. And again, just think to where we were summer of 2020. It looked like Mike Gundy might be fired. You had Brandon Whedon, the greatest quarterback in the history of the school, basically coming out and ripping Mike for a lack of communication with former players. And fast forward, and he, of course, all the Chuba stuff, it looked like he might lose his job. He takes a pay cut. Things were tenuous at best in that moment. You fast forward to Saturday night. You've got Barry Sanders' name on the stadium. You've got a statue for him outside. You've got Thurman Thomas's name up on the stadium. You've got Brandon Whedon up in the suites, living the good life. You've got all these former players. You've got Dez on the field <laughs> challenging calls, saying, I, saying, doing the Dez caught it routine for Tay Martin. And that environment that Mike Gundy ultimately is responsible for, he said it after the game. He said, this place has become a big-time college football environment. And he's totally right about that. I've been to a lot of campuses. I would put Oklahoma State's tailgating up there with any of them. 
I would put that in-game environment up there with any of them. I would put the fact the fans are so close to the field. It's one of the more, one of the more intimidating places to play a football game in the country. And the way this thing looked like it was going through two games, I was ready to move on. And I'm here to admit that that was a horrible take. And as bad as it looked through two games, Mike Gundy's proven over 17 years one of the best coaches in college football. And I thought he really, really, really dug deep this year. They found something with Jalen Warren and the zone running schemes completely transformed their offense. And he flat out made a brilliant hire to hire Jim Knowles. I mean, that didn't raise any eyebrows across the country. And he's going to win the best assistant coach in the country. And that's what it takes to be a great head football coach. It's not just yourself deciding when to punt, decide when to kick field goals. It's hiring good staffs. And Mike Gundy's lost a lot of coaches over the years, way more than they've lost it in Norman. And he somehow has replaced them and kept the thing rolling to where they have another 10-win season, 11 wins now in the regular season. He has a chance to win his second Big 12 title. And I just think he deserves to be National Coach of the Year, and I'm beyond impressed the way he turned this thing around, man. He, he, Mike Gundy, take a bow. Hell of a job. And I, I love the Stetson Cowboy hat he put on after the game as well. Yeah, it was, it was all great. I, I think that Jim Knowles deserves the Broyles Award. I think Mike Gundy deserves to be the National Coach of the Year. I, I'm sure Michigan fans feel the same way about their, their D.C. and Jim Harbaugh. I'm sure Georgia fans feel the same way about their D.C. and about Kirby Smart. I, I don't know who those awards are going to go to, but you certainly can't argue that Mike Gundy and Jim Knowles aren't deserving. Uh, and Jim Knowles, I mean, if Jim Knowles doesn't win the Broyles Award, we riot. It, it, would, be very, it would be very college football to just overlook what Jim Knowles has done and not give him the Broyles Award whenever he's clearly the guy that deserves it. Oh, you just lost the 2023 wide receiver commitment as we're taping this. So wow. They're, they're starting to get decommitments as well. Uh, the, so the 2023 class was, I believe, the number one class in the country. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And again, like cool. this, this is a big deal. Like, this is a, a huge like – Lincoln Riley screwed Oklahoma. This the is going to set them back – a couple, a couple recruiting classes. I mean, honestly, the timing could not be worse. Do you know when in-home visits start? Today? Today. In-home visits start today. Sign, early signing day is in a month. It's, the timing of this is cold. Calculated. Blood. Calculated. Yeah. I mean, you go back and someone speculated this on Twitter. I'd give them credit. I can't remember who it was. Lincoln had started already to focus a lot of his recruiting on the West Coast in California. And he had to know that USC job was coming open. So I, the, the conspiracy theorist in me wonders how long he had his eyes set to the West Coast considering their best recruits are all out there. So that's, again, this isn't an OU podcast. Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma. They exercise the squinky demons. My dad was there to see it. He was there to see OSU rough the punter. And unlike previous years, it, uh, it didn't matter. And, okay, and again, shout out to – I got to pull this up, Colby, while we're talking. So my dad on the podcast we did leading into Bedlam, he speculated about a missed call in 1984, uh, 1984 Bedlam, and a person on the oh, I'm have to pull this up, but a person on the chamber found the play on YouTube, and an OU guy gets in the the, the two yard area, it basically interferes with the punt the punt returner from OSU, and OU recovers it, and that's the end of the they, they get the ball. And, go in the game so shout out to who that was I'll, I'll mention you on the next pod I can't find it right now but my dad has seen a lot Colby and he got to see an OSU win and it was uh it was pretty special in the manner they won considering Squinky was out to get us but we, it, the defense simply wouldn't let it happen
Nope, defense was too good for Squinky. We, uh, we, you done with bullets? You got more? Or are we moving on to BBs? Uh, I'm done with bullets. Uh, you got a BB? I, I do have a BB. I, I, I railed on them earlier, uh, so I don't need to go totally down the rabbit hole again. The OU fans, they're, they're so, so soft when they lose. They just cannot handle it. Bedlam trash talk is part of Bedlam. That's what you sign up for when you're an OU fan or an OSU fan. Every year that game is played, and every year whichever teams, uh, whichever team wins, those fans get to talk trash for the next year. That's how it works. They can't handle it. I threw out a little fun Bedlam trash talk on Twitter last night, and it got hateful fast. They just can't handle it. They're soft. They're sensitive. They're entitled. They're ungrateful. That fan base absolutely wears me out. No love lost between me and that fan base whatsoever. That's a good one. Um, what am I going to go with? I'm going to go with all the people that think the Big 12 just – stinks isn't any good when they're the only conference besides the sec with a top 10 matchup in their conference title games did you see some of the conference title matchups you got like wake forest joke playing in the title game of the acc you got you got the pac-12 pillow fight out there on the west coast iowa like, iowa iowa is playing iowa. in the big 10 title game are you kidding me iowa come Dude. on Dude, I'm actually glad that happened because I didn't want Michigan to just beat Wisconsin 58 to nothing like Ohio State did a few years ago and just get get launched up there in the stratosphere as being the greatest football team to ever play. Now they get to now they get to play an Iowa team that's frankly I think better than Wisconsin, which which tells you all you need to know about that pathetic conference, but anyway, I was happy to see that. Just it's just chef's kiss Colby that Iowa's playing for a Big 10 title. Oh, it is. It's so perfect. And by the way, I mean, huge monster wins in rivalry games. Demons exercise for Oklahoma State and for Michigan yesterday. Either one of those teams could find themselves in, in a battle next week if they don't come to play, if they're still celebrating the big win over their rival. So hopefully uh, they can get the job, or hopefully at least Oklahoma State can get the job done. I, I could care less uh, about Michigan. I hope they lose. Freeze up a spot for Oklahoma State. Yep. I, I did have one other BB that I wanted to give out, and I almost forgot about it. Last night, Carson, we've, we've, we've got to work on football IQ. I understand that students are young. The human brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. So I understand. I, I was a student once. Oklahoma State gets a stop on fourth down with a minute and 16 seconds to go. One sixteen. At this point in time, Oklahoma has three timeouts. This game is very far from being over. Very far from being over. And what rains down from Boone Pickens Stadium, the premature SEC chant. The SEC chant should have happened after Colin Oliver sacked Caleb Wilson with eight, Caleb Williams with eight seconds left. Not with a minute 16 and three timeouts. I was in my seat with my head in my hands thinking, oh my God, listen to all these people chanting SEC and OU's going to get the ball back with a minute to play in this game. So let's just... Let's work on the football like you a little bit. Look up at the scoreboard. See how many timeouts the other team has left. Make sure that that game is won before you start chanting at your opponent, overrated, SEC. Whatever you want to chant, you better make sure that game's won before you start doing it. No, I was there. I thought it was premature, too, because that game was not over. And Mike was a little upset that they threw a beer on the field, too. He was like, we're, we're better than that. We're, we're classier than that. This is a classy place. Don't throw a beer on the field. We were, look, we were looking like tech there for a second on a national TV broadcast, which was, was never a good thing. So, Colby, I'm, I'm spent. You got anything else? 
Uh, I think I got it all out. I think I, let's see, praised Oklahoma State, ripped Oklahoma. Yeah, I think <laughs> I got it all out. Get the checklist. I, I, I checked off all the boxes. Well, Colby, it's been an amazing year. OSU's not done playing. They're going to Jerry World. We're going to have a couple more pods coming up this week. But for a night, Colby, OSU slayed the Bedlam Demons. They beat Squinky over the head with a steel chair. And the defense said, you know what, Squinky? You can go to hell. OSU's winning this game. And they did. What a night it was. It was special. It was beyond special. Uh, a night that I will never forget. A night that many Oklahoma State fans will never forget. Also, I want to shout out uh, some guys, some listeners hosted us at a tailgate. Shout out Michael, Peter, uh, Cody, Greg, those guys that we hung out with at the tailgate. And then another one of our listeners sits very close to us in the stadium. Tyler Wheat's his name. Uh, he always comes up and says hi. Nice guy. So love all of our great listeners and appreciate all the support. Yep. Shout out to Lance 8 on the, uh, the chamber. He, he dug up the 1984 Bedlam game where uh, OU got in the two-yard halo rule and it wasn't called and, and OSU ended up losing. But it ain't, it ain't 1984, the year I was born. It's 2021. Squinky's dead. Jim Knowles killed him. Absolutely. Love every second of it. Go Pokes.